Let's stand together. Acts chapter 4, and we're going to begin reading in verse 13 down to verse 22. It says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled, and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. Beholding the man which was healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. When they had commanded them to go aside out of the council, they conferred among themselves, saying, What shall we do to these men? For that indeed a notable miracle hath been done by them is manifest to all them that dwell in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. I mean, they healed this man, there's there's no denying it. But that it spread no further among the people, let us straightly threaten them that they speak henceforth to no man in this name. What name? The name Jesus. And they called them and commanded them not to speak at all or nor teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge ye. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. So when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding nothing how they might punish them because of the people. For all men glorified God for that, uh, that which was done. For the man was above 40 years old, on whom this miracle of healing was showed. I want to focus on this. The reason I chose this just to kind of conclude our our series on the 12 is that expression there. They took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. So the idea is that these men had spent three and a half years with Jesus, and you can't be around Jesus that long without it making a difference in your life. It changed them. And so the title of my message tonight is, Why Are You So Bold? Because it said they saw their boldness, and they were like, man, these guys, they're like this Jesus character. And so I want to talk to you about that tonight. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd help me to preach and teach your word, help us to leave here impacted, knowing that we've spent time with you by your spirit and by your word. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. There's a man by the name of John Getty, and he was a Canadian missionary to the New Hebrides Islands. When he showed up in the New Hebrides Islands, he he found a a group of people that were wild. Uh, We would refer to them maybe as heathen. They were very wild. Uh, They were very violent. They were practicing cannibalism. Uh, Theft and warfare was was very common among these tribes. And and this is what he, he showed up in and began to minister in. What was interesting is he was very successful as far as leading people to Christ and making a difference and establishing uh, uh, churches there and uh, had an impactful ministry there and and even in Australia and other places. But when he died, there was a commemorative uh, memorial plaque that was placed in the church where he served. And it said this, In memory of John Getty, D.D., born in Scotland, 1815, Minister in Prince Edward Island, seven years. Missionary sent from Nova Scotia to Antietam for 24 years. This is the part I want you to hear. This is what the plaque said. When he landed in 1848, there were no Christians here. And when he left in 1872, there were no heathen. What a testimony. I mean, what an impact this one man made on an island of wild people that converted to Christianity, whose lives were changed because this one man showed up and said, I'm going to dare to make a difference. 
You know what his life teaches us? His life teaches us that like a fingerprint, we all leave an impression where we go every day. We really do. The smudges of our fingerprints are are on lives scattered all over this room. I mean, think about it. If you're a member of Oakwood Baptist Church, in some way, some larger than others, but in some way, we we have impacted uh, and, and influenced and impressed each other. You say, well, what's the application? Well, think about it. We're talking about these 12, commonly called the 12. That's what the Bible refers to, the 12. When I see that uh, now I, I try to circle that every time I find that in the Bible, the 12, the 12. It reminds me of the Dirty Dozen or, or the Magnificent Seven. I mean, this is the 12. And, and what we see is these, these 12 dysfunctional disciples left an indelible impression, but they did it, listen to me, on the world. On the world. We're still talking about this crew all of these years later. And when you consider who they were, it's even that much more amazing. In fact, when we look here in the text, the the, the religious leaders of the day, they were confused. How is this possible? How is it possible that these, these dysfunctional men are having such an impact and such an influence on what's going on here? I mean, it really confused them. Notice in our, in our text that we read some of the confusion. First of all, they were confused because these guys healed a man. And there was no denying it. I mean, that's pretty amazing. I, I don't know you, but I, I'm a little bit skeptical of what we call faith healers today. I mean, you notice that a lot of times these guys that are faith healers are bald and wear glasses. Now, no offense to people who are bald and wearing glasses, but... I mean, if, if you could heal people, why don't you heal your vision? Why don't you heal your hair? Why don't you go down to the, uh, the, the hospital and, and help some folks out? I, I just get skeptical, but we understand in the Bible these supernatural events truly happened, and, and, and it was a part of, due to the apostolic times, and so we understand what was happening in that time. But you can imagine how these religious leaders are looking and going, what just happened? Because in verse 14 it says, Hey, listen, we know this happened, and we can't say anything against it. Verse 16, it says, we cannot deny what happened. This this legitimately happened. This guy was lame. These guys healed him. But I want you to understand tonight, by way of introduction and teaching, a miracle by itself is not necessarily proof. Listen, Satan and false prophets can perform miracles. Like, Let's go back to the Old Testament real quick. Remember, Moses goes in to confront Pharaoh, and God uses supernatural power to show Pharaoh that that Moses has his backing. So what's he do? He takes that rod, he throws it on the ground, and it turns into a snake. Do you remember remember what happened then? The magicians in their time said, we can do that. And they did it too, but but God showed his superior power. Why? Because Moses' snake swallowed up their snakes. That was pretty interesting. Do you remember a little bit later there's going to be a plague and frogs are coming out everywhere? I mean, they're in their beds, they're in their uh, uh, food, they're, they're everywhere. And, and, and I love that text. Pharaoh says, Moses comes in and says, hey, when do you want us to make this stop? And Pharaoh says, tomorrow. What kind of answer is that? But do you remember what's happened? The, the, the sorcerers of their day, they were making, it was kind of like, we can do that too. Like, like no, we don't need more problems, but they were doing it. And so what I'm trying to say is a miracle by itself is not necessarily proof because that kind of thing can be manufactured. Y'all with me tonight? You're kind of quiet out there. 
I, a lot of people have been asking me lately about this Asbury revival. Like, what do you think about that preacher? I don't think a whole lot about that. That's something that's going on over there. If it's real, listen, if it be of the Lord, then it's going to sustain and it's going to overflow and it's going to affect. If it's not of the Lord, then it'll come to cease. But I will tell you this, that even if it is of the Lord, you can be assured that the counterfeits are going to be attracted to it. You can be assured of that because that's, that's kind of what happens. So what I'm trying to say to you is miracles are great. These supernatural events are awesome, but they are not in and of themselves proof of them. Listen, miracles are no substitute for God's word. That's what the Bible teaches. This right here is the litmus test and proof of whether something is valid or not. So that's why we need to know the book. Remember, uh, God said, hey, if my word is going to measure out whether a prophet is true or not, that, that's how you're going to know that they're the real deal is because of the book. And here's the sad thing is most Christians don't know the book well enough to, to really try the spirits and see whether they be of God, and they are easily duped and deceived because they don't know the book. And congratulations or commendations to you tonight for being in church on a Wednesday night to learn just a little bit more about the book so that we can be a little bit more rooted and grounded in the world in which we live in. But I'm saying to you, I said all that to say this. Man, y'all are awful quiet tonight. But I said all that to say this. They looked at the, These religious leaders are very confused because here you got some fishermen, Peter and John, they were fishermen. They are healing sick people, and you cannot deny it. You can't deny it. But that was further the confusion. Not just how in the world did they heal like this, but the other confusion was this, is they, were, they knew Peter and John, and they knew that these guys, this is what it says about them, they were unlearned and ignorant. Now, now listen, that doesn't sound like complimentary language to me, but I don't think that they were trying to be as insulting as it seems to come about to us. The word unlearned just means this, unlettered. Unlettered. So, so some of you that went to college, I think we all know that you can go to college and you can get a sheepskin diploma and still be an idiot. <laughs> right? America has more educated fools per capita than it's ever had in its history. I'll tell you that right now. I'm not down on college education. I'm not at all. I don't think there's any virtue in being stupid. Go educate yourself and, and, and enlarge your mind. I, I'm not ridiculing that. I'm just simply saying, basically, that's what that word means, is they were saying, these guys don't have a degree. And then he says they were ignorant. That doesn't mean that they were stupid. It just simply means that they were unschooled. And so he says, how in the world are these uneducated people going out here and, and doing what they're doing? How is it that they are making an impact and speaking with the intelligence that they are speaking at they are not educated in these ways, and it was very confusing to them. See, it would be a little confusing when you look at them because these apostles, these disciples, Peter and John, I like this, they were ministering beyond their natural abilities. They were, remember when Jesus looked at his disciples and he said, you're going to do greater things than I've done. Has that verse ever confused any of you? It's confused me. What do you mean? Jesus walked on water. Jesus fed 5,000 people with a bag lunch. I mean, Jesus raised people from the dead. What is he looking at and saying, you guys are going to do greater things than me? I think this is the answer to what Jesus was saying. 
Listen, I'm the son of God robed in flesh. What I do ought not shock anybody because I can do anything. When they see Peter and John do some of the things that Jesus did, they were extending far beyond their natural abilities, and that shocked everybody. I've used this illustration in that text. Could you imagine if, if somebody was in a, in a restaurant and they were having a, I don't know, an, app, an appendix attack, and there was a surgeon that was dining in that restaurant. And listen, they, they took that patient and they said, we got to do something now. And they put them on the table in the restaurant and removed their appendix. Wouldn't that be a story? And everybody would say, man, this surgeon was happened there and had their kit and performed surgery. It just so happened. It just so happened this worldwide renowned surgeon was there and could do it. But hold on a second. What if something like that happened and me and Al Billings jumped up with a butter knife and did it? <laughs> now that'd be something to talk about. And that's what these guys are doing. They're going, how is this happening? This is crazy. But notice this, these religious leaders, they were not really interested in the truth. They come and they say, here's what you're going to do. Stop talking about this man. Stop talking about this message. Get out of here with that. We want this to stop right now. And that's interesting to me because these people were not seeking to find the truth. What they were doing is they were actively trying to avoid the truth. And that's interesting to me. Think about this tonight. There is not enough evidence in the world to persuade someone who does not want to believe. Can I tell you something? What the Bible teaches us and tells us and the answers it provides, listen, whether our world wants to admit it or not, they are reasonable. I mean, listen, guys, it is reasonable to believe that something bigger than us created all of this. That is, whether you like it or not, whether you agree with it or not, that is a reasonable explanation. It is reasonable to understand everything that the Bible says, but there are some people that just, they don't want to believe it, and there's not enough evidence in the world to make them believe that. Do you remember when Jesus taught the story of the rich man and Lazarus, and he said this, if they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. Because remember, Lazarus said, send some, and the rich man said, send somebody back from the dead to tell my brothers don't come here. And that was the response. If they don't believe the scriptures, they're not going to believe that. And by the way, in my Bible, I always write this when I have a fresh Bible and put notes. Someone did raise from the dead and come back and tell us about it. Jesus did that, and people still don't believe him. So, just as there are many forces today that want to silence Christianity, this religious council wanted to silence the, the apostles. But there's a key word in this verse, or in this passage, in verse 13. Now, when they saw the boldness, the boldness, that word boldness carries the idea of this freedom of speech. Oh, folks, that's been one of the hallmark characteristics of our nation freedom of speech. And friend, we ought to exercise it in every way, every day, every way we can. That is one of the virtues of America. And I'm afraid in some ways we are losing that. And we must stand up for that. That's called boldness, freedom of speech. Uh, it, that, that word boldness also carries the idea of plainness. I like it. Do you, there's, a, there's a, I mean, this is a real word in the dictionary, gobbledygook. Have you ever heard somebody speak gobbledygook? You know, like, what are you talking about? Like, have you ever spent time with somebody and, and like, 
there's been some people, I, I've spent extended periods of time with them, and when I was done being around them, I thought, I've just spent two hours with that person, and I have no idea what they said. I'm not talking about like I couldn't understand the words that were coming out of their mouth. I just don't understand what their sentences were trying to talk about. They weren't playing. Now, I, I don't know whether you agree with me or not every time we come to the, uh, a church service. I never want you walking out of here going, what was that all about? Boldness. Plainness. Just give it to me straight. Say what you mean and mean what you say. That, that's boldness. It's openness, transparency. That's what they were doing. And I want you to see, you can see a little bit of the example of boldness. Look at verse 10. We didn't read that in our text, but look at Peter. He's preaching. He says, Be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel, but by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. Do you notice he just kind of threw that little zinger in there? Like I'm thinking, did he really even have to say that? He could have said, let it be known to you all people through Jesus Christ who was crucified, who was buried and rose from the dead. That's how this man was healed. No, he threw in there, whom ye crucified. Did you see that? I mean, he was like, he was like, like, take this. I mean, like, he was unflinchingly bold in their presence. In fact, he was very personal. I mean, I remember that, that advice my pastor gave me about preaching. Is he told me, he said, never use your pulpit as a whipping post. And I, I, I've tried to live by that, that, that uh, advice, meaning this, I don't, want, I don't want you to sit there through a sermon and everybody in the service know that pastor was talking about so-and-so tonight. He didn't call their name, but he was talking about them. Listen, I, I don't want to preach that way, and I imagine there's some in here, you have heard a preacher preach that way. But here, Peter, boy, he goes right to it. He's, I mean, he's preaching away, and he says, who you crucified? I mean, like, Wow. Wow. You know what the world calls that kind of stuff today? They call it unkindness. They call it divisive. I mean, even in Christian circles, if somebody calls somebody out for maybe doctrinal error or philosophical error, oh, we don't need to be divisive. Hey, study your Bible. I mean, Paul stood in front of Peter's face and said, you're a hypocrite. Straighten up, dude. And it says, and I, Paul even puts it in there, I did it before all men. He wanted them to see him do it. He talks about high, uh, uh, different characters in the Bible. He calls them out. Alexander the coppersmith did me much evil. I mean, like, people today would be like, oh, 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 can't do that. I mean, Jesus prayed in John 17 that we would all be unified. We will someday when we get up there. I'm just telling you. People call it bigotry. Come on, I'm so tired of hearing that. If you take a stand for something, well, stop being such a bigot. You too. You first. How about that? That's what you should start saying. Let me just give you a verse and we'll get in. I, I, man, I, I don't know. There's more preaching that jumped on that than I was anticipating. The Bible says the wicked flee when no man pursue it, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. And these, these men were exemplifying that. Where did they get this? Where did this come from? I want to give you three reasons the disciples were so bold. And let's carry this with us, okay? Because we want to be like this. Number one, they were bold because of a person. They were bold because of a person. Think about this. Here's Peter. Jesus, whom ye crucified. Hey, just one month earlier, a little servant girl came up and said, Hey, aren't you, aren't you one of those followers of that Jesus of Nazareth fella? And he said, Oh, no, not me. Oh, no. 
Oh, never heard of the guy. Why would you think that? Just one month ago. What happened? He had spent some extended time with Jesus. Man, I, I love that. They took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. Isn't that such a wonderful compliment? I can't think of a better compliment for somebody to give to you or to me by recognizing that we are like Jesus because we've spent time with Him. What a compliment. Can I just challenge you tonight? There's a difference between being around Jesus and being with Jesus. I don't want to just be around Him. There are lots of people that are around Him. These guys got to spend time with Him. You know, there's a difference between being around Christians and being with Jesus. Listen, tonight, you guys are all around other Christians. That's great. We need to be around other Christians. That's why I say Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Get around other Christians. That's why going to the marriage retreat was, was good for our married couples. Why? It wasn't just so that you could be with your spouse and be around instruction. so that you could be around other Christians. It's good. Hey, listen, I, tell, I haven't said this in a while, so I'm going to say it. Congregations congregate. That's what you're supposed to do. But let me tell you tonight, there's a difference between being around Christians and being with Jesus. There's a difference between being around Christian events and being with Jesus. There's a difference between being around the church and being with Jesus. Alexander McLaren said this, a soul habitually in contact with Jesus will imbibe sweetness from Him just as garments laid away in a drawer with some perfume absorb fragrance from the beside which they lie. And that's flowery language, and some of these guys were very academic and poetic in the way that they could write. I'm just going to put it in Michael Jones language for you. It's kind of like you ever been around a campfire? I mean, I love campfires. There's cool, something spark, uh, you know, the snapping of the wood and the, the sense of the heat, and especially in our men's boys' campouts coming up uh, this summer in June, and that's fun, man. What little boy doesn't like, is just totally intrigued by a campfire. And if you got little boys and you bring them this thing, I promise you'll hear this. Can I throw this in there? And they all want to throw something in there and burn it up. And you stand by it and you get warm by it and you just enjoy it. Uh, sometimes, man, when we do something like that, we sit out late at night and just sit by the fire and watch it burn, just sit there and talk. But listen, when all of that is said and done and you come back inside, you can smell the smoke on you, can't you? That's what Alexander McLaren was trying to say. He's trying to say when you get around Jesus, you just can't help but let, let the, the fragrance, the scent of His presence will be near you. And, and this was very awesome that the Holy Spirit had been given to them. And so listen to me, even though He had ascended back into heaven and was not with them physically, He was still with them in spirit. And so He was still spending time with them. And aren't you thankful that these some 2,000 years later, you and I, we can spend time with Jesus. That's why he said, hey, it's expedient for me that I go away from you because if I go away, the Comforter will come. And you'll have the Spirit residing in you and you can still spend time with me, though I'm not with you in bodily form. 
See, Jesus, even though he had ascended back into heaven, and 500 people watched him go back up into the clouds, and they saw him ascend back up into glory, even though he had done that, he, he was still with them, stirring their emotions. He was still with them, compelling their wills. He was still with them, energizing their work. He was still with them, with them as they were dealing with the persecution of their opponents, and their opponents weren't just seeing them. They were also seeing Jesus. So if they were seeing Jesus in them, what exactly did they see? You study your text, oh, you, you know there are so many attributes of Jesus, but let's just point out a few. One is very obvious we've been talking about, and that was boldness. Listen, I'm running out of time, so I'm not going to labor here long, but Jesus was bold. If you think Jesus was some kind of hippy-dippy guy, tiptoeing through flowers and playing a ukulele or something, you, 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 you need to read your Bible. He was not some soft soap, pert plus, you know, spaghetti spine dude. And again, if you, if you don't know what I'm talking about, read your Bible. I mean, the guy was punched in the face with a bag over his head, beat half to death with a cat of nine tails, and still carried his cross halfway up the hill. Don't you tell me that he was some soft soap, soap uh, 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 panty-waisted guy. He wasn't. Goes into a temple, turning over tables with a whip, carrying on, and they were scared of him too. Well, what in the world was going on? He was bold. That's why everybody was reminded of that verse, the zeal of my house hath eaten him up. Can I just tell you tonight, it's not wrong to stand for what is right. And I think God's people need to be told that every once in a while. Now, I tell you, it bothers me to no end that truth has become the new hate speech. You say anything that is against this far-left agenda in our country, and you're a bigot, and you're divisive, and you're hateful. I mean, I know people that have stood against uh, certain social aspects. And I'm keeping it generic on purpose, not because I'm afraid to say something, because I want to leave it there for that reason. But, but listen, I know somebody who has spoken against uh, some of the socialists of our day and had their families threatened to be murdered and their wives threatened to be raped and I'm getting lectured about being a bigot and being divisive and being a hate monger? No, sir. Amen. Truth is not the new hate speech. And somebody needs to stand up and say it. And I'm tired of the fact that we have sacrificed truth on the altar of being nice. <laughs> so I try and be a nice guy. But man, we've got to say, speak the truth. Speak it in love. But speak the truth. You know, we've lost so much ground in this country because somebody, somebody somewhere should have stood up and said, no, I'm not going to apologize for that. I'm so tired of these, I'm sorry if I offended anyway. Well, I, I'm not sorry I told the truth. I'm not, not, I'm not sorry. You might lose your job. Well, whatever. That, that's my second thing, though, Kindness. Jesus was kind. And he'd look right at the Pharisees and say, Whoa, and you serpents, blind, leading the blind, you whited sepulchers. Oh, I mean, he told, the, he told the truth with some zing. But he went about everywhere doing good, didn't he? He's kind. Can I just tell you tonight, boldness does not equal rudeness. You don't have to be a rude jerk. Say, well, I'm just a... Man, I just want to be like Jesus. Well, he wasn't a jerk. He can be kind. 
Here's, here's another thought. Holiness. I don't have a lot of time to park there, but did, we, we quoted that verse, right? The, the righteous are as bold as a lion. The wicked flee when no man pursueth. The righteous are as bold as a lion. Don't skip over that word. The righteous are as bold as a lion. Yeah, holiness is important. And listen, we ought to be thoroughly holy people. In fact, I put this down in my, in my notes. Even your dog ought to be a Christian. Say, well, I've met your dog. He ain't much of a Christian. I, I know. I'm working on him. <laughs> Trying to get him saved. I might baptize him tonight. I don't know. <laughs> All right, I got to hurry. We're running out of time. They were bold because of a person. Number two, they were bold because of a principle. Look at verse 19. Here's the principle. But Peter and John answered and said, And whether it be a right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge ye. See, here's the principle that produced the boldness in their lives. And that was this, we will obey God before we obey men. Now understand, he's talking to the Sanhedrin here. Who was the Sanhedrin? The Sanhedrin was the Supreme Court and the Congress all rolled up into one in Jewish life. And basically, what the disciples are asking in that verse, if we want to put it in plain, everyday language, they're basically saying this, so when did you become God? I mean, that's what they're saying. Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more unto God, judge ye. <laughs> when did you become God? That's kind of what they're saying there. Christians or people who spend time with Jesus and obey Jesus should stand up in public and tell God's truth as they see it without worrying that secular listeners might not agree with it. I've already said that. We, we need to follow Peter's example and start asking the right questions so we can get to the right conclusions. See, we need, to, we need to be asking this question. That's what they were asking in verse 19. Here's the question. Is it right? See, far too often, Christian people included have been asking, is it popular? Can I tell you, for a long time in America, truth was popular. It's no longer popular. But we can't ask ourselves the question, well, is this popular? Hey, stop asking this one. Is it easy? Stop asking this question. I, I get tired of Christian leaders asking this question. Does it work? That's the wrong... That is why so many churches have come to so many wrong conclusions. You, when you ask the wrong questions, you get the wrong answers. And when people have been asking, does it work? You end up in the wrong place. Stop asking, is this what I want? Let's be honest. Sometimes God asks us to do things we don't want to do. There are a lot of times I don't want to do what I know is right to do. Come on now. There are times I just flat out don't want to do what's right. We've got to ask the question, what is right? What is right? And we must fear God more than we fear social customs, more than we fear what other people think of us. We must fear God. And listen, because they, they asked the right question, is this right? They came to the right conclusion. Where'd they get all this boldness? They were asking the right questions. They were living by the right principles. They were not deterred. The, the principle never changes. It's the same when it was in their day. It's the same in our day. Live principled lives. Far too many Christians are not living by principle. 
They're living by their emotions. They're living by what is easy. They're living by what is popular. They're living what's trending on Instagram. Stop it. Live by what is right. Let that govern your life. Number three, and i got to hurry, they were bold because of a purpose. Listen, our purpose is to reach people with what reached us. Now, I don't know what reached you, but the gospel of Jesus Christ is what reached me and it changed my life. I'm saved and on my way to heaven, I know it, and I'm glad about it. I'm not mad about it, I'm happy about it. I'm glad I heard the gospel and it changed my life. And did you notice what they said in verse 20? We cannot help but speak the things which we have seen and heard. Do you know that that's just human nature? Come on, come on. Have you ever done this right here before? I've done this and I've had it done to me. Somebody has something and they go, ooh, this stinks, smell that. <laughs> How many of you had somebody do that to you? How many of you done that to somebody? It's just our human nature. I mean, I've had people do this. Oh, that tastes terrible. Try this. No, I'll take your word for it. Why? Because when something affects us, we want other people to know about it. Let me, let me ask you a question, church. Wednesday night, folks. Let me ask you. Has the gospel of Jesus affected your life? Then it should just be absolutely natural for us to say, oh, let me tell you something that is changed me that's impacted me i can't help but talk about it it's changed the way i live my life it's changed the way i spend my time on wednesday nights i go to church and go to bible study it, it's i have devotions personally during the day why i cannot help but speak the things that I, that, that, that have affected me let, let me tell you it listen if you're a married person the gospel should have affected the way you do your marriage it should have affected the way you raise your kids. It should affect the habits in your life. It should affect everything about you. And, and, and it ought to be like, I know not this thing, smell it, but this smells wonderful. Try it. That ought to be our response. Can I tell you something? Our message isn't just for a private club. That's why I want our church... My goal is not to be the biggest church in Anderson. I don't, I, don't, I don't really care about that. But I want God to send as many people as he'll send. Why? Because this isn't a private club. Don't have that mentality in here. We got so many new people in here. Can't keep up with anybody. Sitting in my seat. They used to ask me to do this. Now they're asking other people to do this. Stop. This isn't an exclusive club. Look, we're not over here at Oakwood going, hey, let me tell you, the best kept secret in all of Anderson is that Jesus died for sinners. And he'll, for, he'll forgive you. Oh, shh, shh, shh. Got to keep that here. It's, it's the best kept secret. We, we've got it figured out. No, 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 no. It's not the best kept secret. You know it. You're laughing because that's so absurd. That's so ridiculous. No, we need to go tell it on the mountain everywhere to anyone that, that, that will listen. Listen, and also understand this. We are not called to win everybody. Jesus told us that not everybody would be one. We're not called to win everyone, but we are called to witness to everyone. And so the thing is, is when you, when you have, have purpose... You're going to be kind of bold in what you're doing. Now there's, 
I was just telling my Bible classes this week. We, we, have, we teach a biblical worldview in our class. And I was telling them, you know, a lot, of, a lot of young people have been taught all their life that they're just higher evolved animals. We got here by accident. We exist here by accident. And when we die, we, we don't go anywhere but in the ground. That is being taught over and over and over again. And it doesn't surprise me why our, our country is acting like a bunch of animals. They mate with who, anybody that will move. Come on, I'm not trying to be crude, but you just know it's true. They'll steal, lie, cheat, murder, kill, hurt, do whatever they got to do. Why? They've been told they're animals, and so they act like animals. But I was trying to tell our boys, and we try to tell our youth, and I'm trying to tell you, we're, not, we're creating the likeness image of God. There's a greater purpose to us. Our purpose is to glorify our maker, our creator. Our, our, our purpose is to live for our Savior who redeemed us from our iniquities. Listen, there is a purpose to our life, and, and, and it gives us a certain boldness, a certain assurance, a certain confidence, a, a certain drive to what God has given us in life. When you have purpose, you'll always be bold about your actions. So let me wrap this up and get out of here. Are you bold in the ways a Christian should be bold? Let me ask you this question. This is an important question. How much time do you spend with Jesus? How much time do you spend with Him? And here's a follow-up question. How is He impacting your life? Because I'm telling you, you can't spend time with Him without it changing you. See, what I am a sinner and what He is, the absolute embodiment of perfection, the two of us cannot coexist so one of us has to change. And he is the Lord. He changes not. He's Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. So guess who's going to change if I'm around him? Number two, do you live by the principle that it's more important to obey God than man? Listen, I want our government to do right. I want to follow the laws of the land. But if the laws of the land are not in submission to the laws of God, I'm under... I'm under obligation to obey my Lord. And by the way, before we get too chesty about that kind of stuff, you better make sure that God was clear about it. I think civil disobedience is a real thing, but you better make sure that the Bible's clear about that. Y'all with me? Number three, who are you reaching with what reached you? How is your witness? Again, we're not called to win, but we are called to witness. I pray the Lord will help us tonight.